To begin the year, we um, have turned our attention to a series uh, called Cultivate, and, um, and, and this series uh, has allowed us first to focus in on those things uh, that, that God uh, has been about the work of cultivating in, in, in our church uh, over the past seven years. Uh, these things that really uh, give us uh, our core as we look forward into the future, those things that will carry forward in defining us as a church, uh, no matter whether we're uh, in a tabernacle ministry, uh, transforming a cafeteria into a, a, a sanctuary every week, or whether we're in a permanent facility just, uh, just down the way. Uh, it allowed us to focus in on, on core values of neighboring, uh, of vulnerability, of a sanctuary, uh, and on, on developing relationships built on trust so that the gospel could be heard. All of those things are, are, are things that God cultivates amongst us, but, but we're going to take a turn for the next four weeks, uh, still focusing in on, on uh, what God has done and is doing to cultivate us, but we're going to focus more on the individuals and in doing that we're going to focus on an individual's story uh, for four weeks so that we could learn from it and reflect on it as it relates to our own story as well so if you have your bibles uh, we're going to read uh, two passages we're going to read uh, jeremiah one uh, our character that we'll be studying is jeremiah uh, and then we're going to uh, turn over to second chronicles uh, and uh, spend most of our time in Second Chronicles this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to stay with me in Second Chronicles. I told the folks in the back of the house that I actually have more biblical references uh, as it pertains to this historical narrative than I have in any other Sunday in the history of Jason Burnham preaching. And so if you have your Bibles and just want to stay with me in Second Chronicles, we could, we could learn together what God has been up to in uh, Jeremiah's life and in preparing him to be the lamenting prophet. First in Jeremiah 1, hear the word of the Lord. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, Hilkiah the priest uh, who were in Ananoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then we're going to turn over together in Second Chronicles. Uh, we're going to read the end of chapter 33, and then we'll follow along into chapter 34. Uh, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 33, Second Chronicles. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign as king. He reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images that his father Manasseh had made and served them. 
He did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But this, uh, but this Ammon incurred more and more guilt. His servants conspired against him and killed him in his house. But the people of the land killed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And the people of the land made his son Josiah king to succeed him. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his ancestor, David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a boy, now 16 years old, he began to seek God, the God of his ancestor, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places the sacred poles and the carved and cast uh, images in the presence in his presence they pulled down the altars of the Baals he demolished the incense altars that stood above them he broke down the sacred poles and the carved and cast images he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them he also burned the bones of the priest on, the, on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem and the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon and as far as Naphtali and their ruins all around. He broke down the altars, beat the sacred poles and images into powder and demolished all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks, Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, uh, we do come before you uh, with great thanksgiving for your word, for the wisdom contained therein, and for all the intricate details that you uh, offer us uh, to study and to learn from. Lord, we thank you for all of that wisdom. We ask, O oh God, that you would... Uh, be with us now in this time of, of reflection that your Holy Spirit would be present to move in our midst. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word, open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then by your grace, I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, sometimes it's all about the setup. Sometimes it's all about the setup, how things get set up. I, I, I was having a moment with Zach the other day, and, and it was almost like confessional. Uh, I, I wanted to say, Zach, I'm not your priest. You can confess to Jesus. You don't have to confess to me, but he was confessing nonetheless. Uh, and it was about his... Uh, it was about it was about uh, a, a childhood sin of his that, that, that he worked to deceive his father. Here, here's how it goes. So so Zach is eight years old and he uh, decides that he uh, has now learned how to play poker. Do you remember that day when you learned how to play poker? Uh, and, 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 and if you're a competitive person and you've learned how to play poker, uh, there is one winning hand above all winning hands, and you all wish to achieve said winning hand someday, someway, somehow. That winning hand is a royal flush. And so you want the royal flush. You want to be able to have it and to gloat over your foes that you have gotten it so that no matter what they have gotten, 
it doesn't, it, it, it really, it really, they still lose and you win. And so Zach comes up with a scheme. He, he comes up with a setup. He decides that he is going to, uh, to invite his father into a game of poker. He only knows one kind of poker at this time, five-card draw, and so he's going to set it up to where he could play five-card draw with his dad. And so he does what any wise eight-year-old would do. He rigs the deck. And he doesn't rig the deck so that he gets two pair. He doesn't rig the deck so he gets a full house. He rigs the deck so that he would get a royal flush. And, and uh, now the next step of the setup is he has to get his dad to buy in, right? Now it's like, Dad, 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 please play poker with me. And his dad's like, I'm busy. I got work to do. I'm a hardworking man. I provide for this family of 39 children. And so, uh, so I, ha- I have to work. I don't have time for this. And, and uh, Zach persists, and Zach says, Dad, 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 please play poker with me. Please, please, please. And, uh, and so uh, his dad finally relents, steps back and says, Sure, I'll play poker with you. And so Zach uh, gives him some chips. This is, I mean, this is, how, this is serious. Like, he's not just, you know, playing with peanuts. He has chips. And so he puts, gives his dad some chips. He gets some chips. And he says, uh, he says, let's play. And his dad said, what, what are we playing? He says, five-card draw. And so he deals out the five cards, deals out the five cards. Dad, how, uh, uh, and, and then he, he even worked it so intricately in his mind in this setup that he was going to, to turn in cards. Because you can't get, just get dealt a royal flush. You have to turn some cards in so that you could get the royal flush uh, back to you after your draw. And so he takes his cards first, which I think is a cheating element of dealing because if you would have known you're supposed to offer the other person to draw first nonetheless minutia his 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 dad uh gets his cards after zach gets his cards he turns into gets them back and then uh he asks his dad to bet his dad checks which is uh a little bit disconcerting to the young zach that wants to uh have this devastating blow to his father and zach smirking from ear to ear says all in right he couldn't have just put a couple of chips on the table so that he could have the pride of laying it down he says all in what do you think his father did fold his dad folded <laughs> he gave him a four of a kind and his dad still folded. Do you know why? It's all about the setup sometimes, right? It's all about the setup and his dad realized he'd been set up before it even came to pass. Now, sometimes we could see the setup coming from a long way away, right? Sometimes you could see how things are ordering themselves and you could get it. And other times, your shoelace is untied, which is bothering everybody in the church because they're worried that Jason is going to trip. But other times, uh, the setup is so good that you don't even see it until it's already happened. How many times has that happened in your life? Where you could look back in retrospect and you could see all of the ways that things have been developing, things have been happening that lead you to a certain point. And if they didn't happen in those very ways, maybe this point wouldn't have had 
the power or the meaning for you. You see, Jeremiah was, uh, was a prophet. He, he's known as the wailing prophet or the weeping prophet because he laments uh, all that is happening uh, in his time of, of carrying this, this burden of speaking for the Lord. Uh, but, but, but we have to look at the very beginning, this time when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. It's, it's in the 13th year of King Josiah. And, and we don't really know how old Jeremiah was when this took place. But, but, but because uh, of, of the context in which he was brought up, we can make many assumptions about what he was exposed to both politically and religiously, particularly in his family life, uh, that, that lead us to this point of Jeremiah 1, 5, where God says, I knew you, I formed you, I, I built you for this purpose. I've prepared the way for you. And the backstory is all in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, uh, some of it we read, we began with Amnon. I'm going to back us up one point uh, to Manasseh. Manasseh is Amnon's father. And we're going to go all the way through to Josiah so that we could see the lead up, the preparation, first politically, and then in a second we'll jump to, to the family origin story uh, so, so we could tie these things together, how Jeremiah was prepared. What was Jeremiah's setup? So first thing you need to know about Manasseh is King Manasseh was evil. Period. Like, like the scripture doesn't uh, mince words here. It's very clear, very specific. Uh, in, in chapter 33, verse 2, it says, uh, and Manasseh was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he practiced uh, abominable practices. Uh, all these things that other cultures had brought in about their worship of other gods, Manasseh was all in on that. He was going to worship idols. He was going to build them up. In fact, in verse 10, it advances that even further. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they gave no heed. Not only was he evil, not only did he worship other gods, but as king of Israel, he decided he was going to, 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 to lead his people down that path as well. And when God spoke, they closed their ears and they would not listen. This is Manasseh. Well, what happens to Manasseh? God has judgment upon Manasseh, so, so, so God uh, raises up opposition for Manasseh in, in verse uh, 11 of chapter 33. Uh, and, and, and the Lord brought the commanders of the army of Assyria and he took Manasseh captive. And so King Manasseh is now in shackles, fettered and carried off out of the kingdom. How are you a king if you're not even in your kingdom? How are you a king if you're in shackles? How are you a king if you have been imprisoned? And so what does Manasseh do? This evil Manasseh that worships other gods, he repents. King Manasseh actually turns from his evil ways. In verse 12, it goes on to say that while he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord. He humbled himself. Now, now I, I think he was already humbled by God. 
but, but then he acknowledged his humiliation and, and, and sought God out in that space. And King Manasseh, in shackles, turned to God and asked for God's help. Interesting, right? He didn't ask for Baal's help. He didn't, he didn't find a way to make uh, time at the Asher pole to create uh, a desire of help to come to him. No, he returned to God with all his heart and entreated the Lord to show favor on him. So what does the Lord do? The Lord does show favor on Manasseh. The Lord restores Manasseh. He is freed from his bondage from the king of Assyria. And now he comes back to Jerusalem. And here's uh, how we know it wasn't just uh, this shallow repentance, but he actually turned from his ways. In verse 15, it says that now he took away the foreign gods uh, and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And he threw them out of the city. That was, that was a, a huge step. When you think of the temple of the Lord, the temple that, that Solomon built, when you think of the city of Jerusalem that David established as the city of God according to God's own will, uh, when you think about all that took place in Jerusalem and in the temple for, the, for there to be other idols and other altars to other gods there was intolerable for God. And God had Manasseh tear them down and throw them out of the city. But we have to acknowledge that something still has, has taken place here. The entire country has been filled with these abominable practices. The entire country has been cast into idolatry. And, and Manasseh only, according to the scripture, took steps uh, towards restoring uh, faithful worship in Jerusalem. And so then uh, Manasseh dies. Manasseh reigned uh, for 55 years. And what I believe is I believe that Jeremiah was exposed to some of Manasseh's reign, if not much of Manasseh's reign. And even if he wasn't alive during the time when Manasseh was taken by the Assyrians and brought into repentance, this would have been a tremendous part of their national story. Their heritage would have gone deeply into this political and religious environment that Manasseh created by being evil and repenting and then turning to the Lord. Okay? So Manasseh dies. Amnon becomes king. Uh, Amnon is, is, is an interesting character. I don't know if you caught that. He was 22 years old when he uh, began to reign, and it said that he reigned literally for two years. We just had a king, King Manasseh, for 55 years, and now Amnon reigns two. That should, like, pop off the page to us as biblical scholars that you are. And he reigned for two years, you know, before the rest of the story is even told. Why? Well, it says, just like with Manasseh, he was evil. In verse 22, he was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
just as his father Manasseh. But then it goes on. Uh, he's, he's not just like Manasseh. He's worse than Manasseh because in verse 23, it says clearly that he did not repent. He did not humble himself as Manasseh did. So we just had the story. Manasseh was evil. He, he had to be punished. He relented and repented. And then he turned from his evil ways and he turned to the Lord as he humbled himself. Amnon, none of that. He was evil. He stayed evil. He would not humble himself even though he saw how, how his father had humbled himself. And so what we have next is killing. Lots of it. People, uh, people just conspired to kill Amnon. But then not only did people conspire to kill Amnon, the people who supported the throne then rose up and killed the, consp the conspirators. So now you have a nation that's wrapped and embattled in sin as they are killing their king and then killing those that kill their king. And where do you go from here? Evil, repentance, evil, spiraling into the depths of the pit for the entire nation. It is almost certain that Jeremiah was alive and would remember every fearful detail of Amnon's reign and the time when he was overthrown and killed and the turmoil of the city. If I didn't mention it earlier, Jeremiah grew up in Jerusalem. He lived in Jerusalem. And so all this that's happening in his city, can you imagine being a child in the capital city where the king is killed and where they're hunting down the killers of the king and killing them? Fear, turmoil, struggle, evil, the weight of oppression on Jeremiah. So then we have Josiah. Josiah is the eight-year-old king. And uh, we, we spend most of our time in the church today talking about Josiah and what happens in his, uh, in his 13th year of reign. But, but I want to back up to what we have in 2 Chronicles that is still prior to when Jeremiah was called by God. You see, in verse 34, uh, uh, in chapter 34, excuse me, we have the orientation of, uh, of Josiah. It says, Josiah was different than Amnon, different than Manasseh, rather than being evil, being evil. Now we have, he is righteous. Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, walked in his ways. And, and, and I love the imagery. He walked in the way of the Lord. He didn't turn right. He didn't turn left. He just walked that straight and narrow path of the Lord. This is a righteous man. Even though he was eight, he, he, he was striving to follow God from the very beginning. And then in verse 3, uh, it, it, it says that in his eighth year, now he's 16 years old, in his 16-year-old in his uh, state as king, he now seeks God with his very being. And because he's seeking God, he begins, even at 16 years old, to purge, 
to purge Judah and Jerusalem from all of those idols. And he's leading the people in the paths of righteousness. All this is the backdrop to what's going on in Jeremiah's in Jeremiah's season. You see, this is now. Sorry, I want to be sure that you catch this piece. I, I didn't stay just a second ago. In his eighth year, he's 16. He seeks the Lord. Then in the 12th year, excuse me, a few years later, he begins this purge. Do you remember in, in Jeremiah, over in Jeremiah chapter one, uh, what the year was whenever, uh, whenever uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah? It is in uh, the, oh my gosh, 13th year of Josiah, verse 2 there. So all of this has happened before the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is the backdrop that he is experiencing politically, religiously, but his family of origin is, is deeply embattled in this as well. I want to be sure that we, we note how the setup includes his family. You see, at the very beginning of verse 1 of, of Jeremiah, it says that Jeremiah is the son of Hilkiah. Jeremiah is the son of Hilkiah. Now, now, if we just are starting in Jeremiah, that means nothing to us. But if we read the Bible as, as a meta-narrative, as the journey of God's people and the, and the movement of God amongst God's people, then we've read, uh, we've read 2 Chronicles and we, and we turn back and we hear much about Hilkiah, mostly from the time of Josiah. And it, and it begins after this time when the word of the Lord came to Josiah. It happens, uh, it happens beginning in uh, chapter 34, verse 18. This is now the 18th year of Josiah, so a few years, five years after Jeremiah has received the word of the Lord. And here's where we hear uh, Hilkiah coming forward. In uh, 34 uh, and 34, 14. 34, 14. Do you have it? I probably wrote it down wrong for them. I will read it. 34, 14, uh, it says, While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, the priest Hilkiah found the book of the law of God given through Moses. So this is when we see Hilkiah for the first time. You see, Hilkiah is a trusted priest in the reign or under the reign of King Josiah. And Josiah actually gives him the resources that are donated to restore the temple. And, and as he is uh, caring for the treasury, he then finds the book of the law. Now, this is baffling to me. He finds the book of the law. The book of the law, this is, this is, this is the law of Moses. This would be Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy had been lost. We have Deuteronomy today. They lost Deuteronomy. I mean, that, that, doesn't that seem hard? They, they literally lost it. it like, like, no one in Israel had Deuteronomy. This is the law of the Lord. They don't have it. It's been lost. Hilkiah finds it. And instead of hiding it, he and Josiah have such a relationship that he brings the book of the law to Josiah and then Josiah reads it and says, Hilkiah, what does this mean? 
Uh, I don't know. I've never read it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's been lost for generations. I don't know. We've heard about the law of Moses, but we don't actually know about the law of Moses. And so Hilkiah then is sent by Josiah to carry it forward to discern the meaning of the book of the law. And he takes it to a prophetess, uh, Huldah, and asks Huldah, what does the book of the law mean? And Huldah receives the, uh, the word of the Lord, and Hilkiah then brings it back to Josiah. And Josiah decides that they need to celebrate the Passover. And who does he trust to administrate the Passover? Hilkiah. Hilkiah and Josiah are working together alongside of each other to perform the, the reforms needed to restore righteousness, not just in the king's house, but in all of the country. And Hilkiah is journeying with Josiah. So now does Jeremiah 1.1 make a little bit more difference? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, the word came. And, and so now we can look back and we see how his family was setting him up for this. How, his, how all of the political strife of the struggles of the country were setting him up for this. How all of the evil that had been done and his witness of what the power of repentance looks like uh, had in his life. So that everything that took place before was preparing him for this moment. Do you know those moments in your life when something substantial happens and you don't understand how it came to pass, but then you start looking backwards and you start studying and you study, you study your family history. You study your relationship with your mom, your relationship with your dad. You study uh, your religious history. You study the culture that you grew up in. You study the, 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 the city that you're from. You study the work that your parents did. You study all of, the, all of the things that you were exposed to in your high school, in your college. You study the relationships you had. You study the, the girlfriends and the boyfriends you had. You put all of it together, something substantial happens today and you look back on what was and you say wow look what God had been doing and I would have totally missed it were it not for what took place today God's setup can be magnificent it could be profound and it can change your life. I remember whenever I was in high school and I was struggling, struggling about whether or not I was going to become a Christian, whether or not I was going to follow Jesus. And, and, and I had grown up in the church and I had re rejected over and over again faith in Jesus Christ. And now uh, I was at a retreat at Lakeview uh, Methodist Conference Center in Palestine, Texas, and there was a preacher named Ben Trammell who came up, and he was a high schooler. He was my age, and he offered testimony and witness, and I remember almost every single detail about what he preached whenever I was a kid. And I remember while I was at that retreat, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
and committed to serve him in whatever way he called. You know what's crazy, though? Ben Trammell is now a friend of mine, and he is in a covenant group with me. And I remember the first time Ben and I reconnected, and this was like eight years after I had given my life to Christ. And I, I, I pulled him aside. I said, dude, you don't know me. Ben, you have no clue who I am. But I want you to know that whenever I was 16 years old, you were offering a witness and a testimony to the power of the Lord, and it changed my life forever. You are part of how I was prepared to be where I am today. God used you in that way. And as I was telling him that, uh, shh, don't tell. He cried. Um, and he said, man, whenever I, I was at midwinter that year, I was going through the craziest time in my life. I had discovered all sorts of horrible, wretched things that were going on in my world, and I was broken. And me and God, we were fighting. And I barely had faith at all. And he and I, in that space and that time, and since then many times, we've talked about how good God is to involve us in those setups, to invite us in to prepare the way for the Lord for others. I have two tasks for you today. Number one, I want you to think about how God has set you up. I want you to look back on those significant moments in your life, and I want you to, 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 to think not just about what happened in that moment, but all the things that led to that moment. That were, were it not for those things, you wouldn't have been able to have that experience of God. Then the second thing I want you to do is I want you, I want you to claim the biblical truth, the gospel message that God can use and does use you to help prepare the way of the Lord for others. And I challenge you to live that kind of life. Be that kind of witness. Bear the light and love of Christ to others so that the way might be clear and together we all might be found to walk in the way of the Lord. Not moving to the right, not moving to the left, but faithfully walking in His ways. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, You are awesome uh and you are so better at setting things up than zach is and um uh so we praise you for that man uh, for all of the ways in which you've met with us and you've transformed us and you have 
open our eyes to see your glory. Lord, we praise you. Uh, the relationships we've, that have been developed around us, the culture that we were brought up in. Uh, Lord, help us to be, those, uh, to, to be that very thing for others. Help us to carry your light, uh, to, to bear witness to your love, uh, to offer grace uh, everywhere we go so that we might be a part of other stories. Use us, we pray. Lord, as we enter into this time of offering, this time of offering a portion of what you've uh, blessed us with, given to us, back to the kingdom-building work of your church, we ask, oh God, that you would uh, use these gifts, that you would transform them uh, for powerful works of grace and ministry in this community and in this world. Lord, we ask that you would bless both the gift and the giver alike. We pray it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.